In Ephesians chapter number four, verse number 11, it says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now let's pray. Amen. Our words and our actions. You, you remember when you were a kid, you know, sticks and stones may break, for our bump, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We tell our kids that, you know, to help them get over things. We should get over. I, I think I'm going to stay away from that. I was going to talk about cry rooms and, and things like that. You know, we worked at one of the uh, big tech firms. Me and Matt did uh, a couple of years ago, you know, and they had a, special room set aside with a bean bag and all that. That was a place where they could go and be alone for a little bit, you know, grown adults. But we tell kids this to help them to get over it. But the fact of the matter is, you know, words can hurt. Words can send somebody tumbling. Words can affect somebody. You know, we affect somebody whether we give them positive or whether we give them negative. You know, we, we can't shelter ourselves from everything right? There's positive and there's negative in this world. And there needs to be a balance in things. But as Christians, I've, I've looked and, you know, one of the things that separates us, one of the things that separates Christians from the rest of the world is that we're to be like Christ. We're to be Christ-like when we deal with each other, when we deal with the brethren. Now, it's understanding that Christ judges sin and things like that. But it's also understanding building each other up, edification. I see some of y'all getting nervous. Don't get nervous. This ain't on anything that's happened. Because I got to studying on a fella in the Bible, and I'm going to tell you about him here in a minute, but I'm trying to get an introduction. And uh, so our words have the ability to tear people up or to tear people down or to build them up when we talk to them. But we're to exercise discernment. We're to be aware, you know, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. It's not just giving people a false sense of hope or a false sense of security. We have to be able to have discernment in our walk with Christ. It's, it doesn't call for us to accept every single thing that is around us, if you understand what I'm saying. In other words, when there's sin, we're to avoid it. We don't just accept. He says... Uh, over in uh, Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Just the right words at the right time can change everything. I remember when I was in uh, middle school, there was, I was, I was kind of at this point of change. I had started to listen to, yeah, I say it from the pulpit. I had started listening to heavy metal and I had started kind of drifting toward this other direction. And I remember I had, it was stylish to have letters written on your knuckles, you know, Ozzy or whatever. I hate to even mention it up here. But I'm talking to a teacher, and I respected this teacher. He was a history teacher, Texas history, and uh, praise God for that. But uh, he, was, he was talking to me, and he said, well, Keith, what's, you know, what's going on? You've, you know, you're kind of changing. He, he just kind of caught me at that right moment. And it was just that morning, you know, I had done that and 
things were starting to change, but he just kind of talked to me. He said, you know, I've seen good work out of you. He encouraged me in that moment. And, you know, it was from that conversation. It's like, wash that off, didn't do that again. I didn't, I'm not going to say I never messed up again or anything, but he just kind of, just kind of that word fitly spoken right in that right moment, you know, and it was an encouragement to me. It was, a, it was an encouragement to know that he appreciated the work that I'd done in his class and that he was paying attention, you know. That can always land different ways when you're dealing with young people, but for me at that time, I remember it was encouragement. I, never, I remember another man that encouraged me. I remember kind of being set in my ways, and I, uh, he said, you know, well, why don't you do this? And I said, well, I'm just, a, I'm just a third class. He said, and if that's all you think, that's all you'll ever be. He let me know there is more that you do have an effect. But it was encouragement at the right time. But we are to have discernment. And I want to point this out because there's so many people that say, well, you just have to love everybody. You just have to accept everything. You just have to, you know, take everything in and accept it, whatever it may be. But 1 John 4, 1 tells us, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We can get taken away. But we're to exercise discernment. Over in Hebrews 5.14, it says, But strong meat belong to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So there's a learning to discern. And the, the more that you're in your Bible, the more that you understand God's word, the more we're learning how to rightly divide here on Sunday mornings and Sunday school, the more that you understand differences and stuff, it keeps you from going down a wrong path. You're to discern between good and evil. In, on the topic of edification, you know, when we have a church, there's been times when people have been hurt. I've always given this illustration about, you know, I, I'm afraid of my words as a pastor, you know, sometimes. Not because they're bad. Well, sometimes you're worried that you're going to hurt somebody. And you see somebody, I see them, it's like you're there over Europe in World War II and you're in the fighter planes, you know, and you're, you're fighting against Satan or you're fighting the battle and they're next to you and you're all in formation and some word is said or something is said and they just kind of roll out and they're not with you anymore. They fell out of church or they fell away from God or they fell into something because of some word that was said at the wrong time. But there was a fella... And this is where it picks up here. I tried to get some balance in, but there's a fella in the book of Acts that you don't hear a whole lot about. His name is Joseph. Do y'all know Joseph in the book of Acts? We're going to learn about Joseph today in the book of Acts. But Joseph was an encourager. He was, you don't hear a lot about him. But when you begin to learn about him, you begin to see how he picked people up and how he, he supported them. Uh, and we are to, to pick each other up. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we are comforted of God. So when you've gone through things, you're able to help others. Look over in Acts chapter number 4 this morning. And when we look at the book of Acts, it's good to remember what's going on at this time. 
Jesus Christ has died on the cross. He's risen again. And the book of Acts starts out with him after the resurrection. He was with the, with the disciples. And in Acts chapter 1, he rises again to heaven on a cloud. And the disciples are left there, and there's a whole lot of things that take place. You ever want to get excited, read the book of Acts if you haven't already. But when you start to read the book of Acts, and it's just like one thing after another begins taking place. And Peter's been persecuted. He's been, um, there we go, get on the right page. But Peter had healed the man. He was put into prison, and he was beaten. He, you know, he told the man, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter had preached on the day of Pentecostal. The Holy Ghost had come upon all, and all the believers were beginning to gather together. And those that were leaving, at this time, the Jewish religion was so strong. If you left, you were rejected, just as if you were into Islam today, and you leave, you lose your family. And they began to gather together in Jerusalem there. And they said that they... Uh, Look at verse number 29. Peter prays and says, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by thy name, by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So this is where we come into the scene here. And it says, verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. They had begun to join together. You had people that had jobs that lost them. You had people that had families that lost them. And they were taking care of each other. They were joining together in fellowship around the name of Jesus Christ. And it said in uh, verse 34, Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So they were providing for each other. Now verse uh, verse 36 is where Joseph comes in. And you're about to go, oh, that's who he's talking about. It says, in Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus. So Barnabas is the one that we're talking about. And I'm sure you've heard of Barnabas by now. But Barnabas was there. He was a Levite. The Levites didn't possess land. They weren't given any land by God, but their, their possession was the temple, was the, was the fruits of the sacrifices and things like that. But they were still able to own land. And Barnabas was from Cyprus. He wasn't from Jerusalem, but he was there. He sold his land, and he donated it. Now, we see Barnabas, when you begin to look at what, some of the things that Barnabas did in the Bible, you see a great encourager. You know, there's some people that are there to help. There's some people that are there to help in time of need or there to pick people up. And one of the first things we see Barnabas doing is he's there to encourage the needy, those that are hurting financially. And we see Barnabas stepping in and giving to the disciples to make a distribution. And it said, and Joseph, who by the apostles was named Barnabas, surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. The son of consolation. He, they, uh, his name was Joseph, but they called him 
Barnabas, you know, a surname. It's like if your name is Jim, but they call you Jimmy. It's a surname that they gave him, but it meant something. He was a son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the first thing we see is him encouraging the needy. He sees the people that are out of their families. He sees the people that are without job. He sees the people gathered together, and he said, I'm going to contribute to this. And he sells his land. And remember, it, there's no promise. He's a Levite, but there's no promise. He's, they're going to let him back into the synagogues or any of that because he's a follower of Christ too. But he sells that land, and he gives it to the apostles, to everyone that had need. So when we look at Barnabas and we think about ourselves, we should be an encourager of the needy. Now, you see why I talked about the sermon at the beginning? I, I get nervous sometimes giving people money, but I've said before, when you give to someone, <laughs> if God's moved on you to give it, by all means, listen to God, but understand that what they do with it, that's between them and the Lord. You just have to reach that point where you say, I'm giving you this, and what you do with it, that's between you and the Lord. I've known people that have given things, and they'll put this condition and that condition and that condition, and it's like, well, are you giving this, or are you just putting a string around my neck? He gives no string. He just gives the money to be given out. So having land sold it and brought the money. So number one, we want to encourage the needy, and that's through financial support or things like that. Look at uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Now, when we get to Acts chapter 9, I said, you know, the book of Acts, there's a lot going on here. And in the book of Acts chapter 9, Saul comes on the scene, who, who becomes Paul. He's there on the road to Damascus. He's been persecuting people. Uh, and... He had been there at the stoning of Stephen. He held the coats of the men that threw rocks at Stephen, that killed Stephen. And not only that, he wasn't just content to hold the coats. Paul was all in, whatever he did. And Paul was one of the ones persecuting them from house to house, delivering them to the prisons because they worshiped Jesus Christ. And Paul gets on the road to Damascus, and Jesus gets a hold of him. And he's blinded by the light, and he says, it's hard for thee to kick against the prison. Why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting me by hurting my people? And Saul realizes, Paul realizes, you know, Jesus had told his disciples at one time how they'll deliver you into the synagogues and they'll, they'll punish you. And he said, it'll be such that he that, do it, he that does it will think that he does God a favor. Paul was thinking he did God a favor and Jesus got a hold of him. And Paul, because he had persecuted all these Christians, they were a little reluctant to take him in. You get over to uh, Ananias, talk, uh, the Lord talks to Ananias in uh, verse number 9, and he was three days without sight, talking about Paul, and neither did he eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayed, and he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. 
And then look at verse number 13. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. You know, it's, it's hard to trust somebody that gets saved when you know what they've done before. Amen. You go to the jails and it's like you reach a point. I don't want to know what you did. You want to tell them that, you know. There tends to be a need to want to confess. It's like we're not here for that. You know, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. I'm here to tell you about the Bible. But it gets hard to accept someone that you know has killed somebody. I went to the youth detention center one time in Georgia, and uh, we we uh, went in there, and I didn't know what had happened in Macon in a restaurant to a young lady. But after we were all done preaching and all, you know, and Brother David was talking, and it turns out that we were talking to the young man that had committed that crime. You know, it's hard to want somebody in. Imagine how much harder when you know that you're a Christian, when you know how much hate and vile Paul was putting toward the Christians when he was persecuting. And Ananias said, I have heard from many about this man. So Paul is saved now, but everybody still remembers what he did. And uh, (coughs) Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias goes to him, and Saul receives his sight. And if you'll look down at verse 26, because one of the, you know, Paul is all in whatever he does. The first thing that he does is he goes and he starts street preaching. Look at uh, verse number 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was saw certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Paul jumped right into the snake pit right away. I don't know how else to say it. And he kept going. I admire Paul. I pray for the strength of Paul. But he, first thing that he did was go to the synagogues. He, once he found out, you ever met somebody that gets on fire like that? Once they find out that what they've been taught wasn't right or that, that things have changed, they go right into, right into witnessing. Verse 21, but all that heard him were amazed and said, is, this, is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proven that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him, but their laying away was known of Saul, and they watched him, watched the gates day and night to kill him. And then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, so there he was in Damascus, and the disciples there understood that Saul was saved. He was a different man. They'd seen him preaching in the synagogues, and they helped him, helped save his life by letting him down the wall at night when nobody was looking. They knew that he was persecuted. They knew that the Jews wanted to kill him. But when he goes to Jerusalem, they don't know that. There's no phone call ahead for him. 
There's no letter mailed out ahead of him. When Paul goes to Jerusalem, it's a different story. Verse 26, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So he gets there, and he wants to join with the disciples. He wants to be with his fellow Christians in this area, but they all know what he's been doing. Oh, no, you don't want to get near Saul. It's just a trick. He's going to throw us in jail. You should have heard what he did to my cousin over there because they, they had seen what he had done. He had scattered the people abroad. The Bible said they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Saul was spreading the gospel before he even realized he was spreading the gospel. Amen? So everybody, nobody wants to get near him. But this man Barnabas, the son of consolation, the encourager, look what it says in verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas had listened. And Barnabas knew, so Barnabas vouched for Paul. So you not only want to encourage the needy or be an encouragement for the needy, but encourage the lonely, those that are outside the bounds. There are some people that change, and it's a genuine change, but you need the discernment to recognize it. And Barnabas, he had the discernment to recognize that Paul had changed, and he was there to vouch for him with the disciples. Look at, well, in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So the people in Jerusalem, when Stephen had got stoned to death in Acts chapter number 7, the ones in Jerusalem at the time, they got scattered abroad. They went everywhere preaching the word. They didn't just hide. They were so on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ when they got saved, that when they were scattered, they left their home. They weren't standing around complaining about getting, having to leave Jerusalem. They weren't standing around complaining about, man, I started following Christ, and then all this happened to me. I got persecuted and all this. No. Wherever they went, they were preaching the word of God to them. They were telling them about Jesus Christ. They were telling them how to be saved. And you know, that's how the gospel goes out. And sometimes the fires of persecution, well, most of the time, the fires of persecution are a good thing. I tell you, in this day and age, it it seems like we're getting cramped down, cramped down, cramped down. There's more and more people that do not believe in God. And there's more and more people that are hostile against Christians. But those fires of persecution, they make you decide, are you going to follow Christ or are you going to follow this other way? And it makes you sure of what you know. And when they were scattered abroad, they were sure of what they knew. So, verse number, uh, Acts chapter 11 is where we're going to be next. Verse number 19. Acts chapter 11, verse number 19, it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phinehas and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of the men... Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's understanding. Remember, I told you time and again, the book of Acts is a transitional book. 
When they first started out, they were preaching to the Jews. Over in Acts chapter number 2, it was all the Jews that were gathered together in Jerusalem that Peter preached to. As you begin to go on, we're in Acts chapter number 11, so over in chapter number 10 is where Peter witnesses to Cornelius. If you remember Peter sitting on the roof, and he's, he's meditating, he's praying to the Lord, and the, he has a vision of the sheep coming down, and all manner of four-footed beasts and animals, and the Lord says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord, for nothing unclean hath ever touched my lips. In other words, I've kept your law. I, I, you know, it's for the dogs. <laughs> you remember Jesus only, he told them to go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So they were keeping that. They were preaching to the Jews. But it was there in chapter number 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a Gentile, and that's where the Gentiles begin to get in. Y'all didn't know you were going to get a Bible study this morning. So in Acts chapter number 10 is where the Gentiles get in, and Peter leads his whole household. His whole household gets saved. And then they call him up, and they kind of have a council. Councils are, yeah, always a good thing. But Acts chapter number 11, Peter gets up there. Take a look at this with me. Acts chapter number 11. So in the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa. And he begins to tell about the trance and everything that took place. And he explains to them. Verse number seven, I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house, and he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. <clears throat> who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then, I, then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? And then look at verse number 18. This is where things change. It said, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And that right there is where you get in. So they just realized this. They just realized Peter has been sent. You have this other group in the meantime that's been scattered abroad. And they go back home. And their friends are Greeks and Grecians and, and Gentiles. And they begin telling them about Jesus Christ. They, it's like they didn't get the memo or like they're so excited and so zealous. You know, they forget to just preach to the Jews. But they begin telling the Gentiles, hey, look, Jesus died for your sins. This is how you get saved. You, you know, somebody, there's something else about somebody that just gets saved, a new Christian that's zealous. You know, he doesn't get all of his doctrine right. But he's excited, and it doesn't matter because God works with it. 
You can look up Apollos in the book of Acts and see how that takes place. But you get to verse number 19, and it says, They which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Verse 22, it gets back to them at Jerusalem. And then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. So they send out the son of consolation. Barnabas is in the background, but he's involved in a lot of things here. And Barnabas goes out, who, verse number 23, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. They said, Barnabas, we need you to go check this out. Because they're preaching to the Grecians. They're preaching to the Gentiles. There's a group of guys out there. We, we need to make sure. They could be starting some kind of cult. They could be, starting, they could be getting the doctrine wrong. And Barnabas gets out there. He's already introduced Paul to the apostles. But they send Barnabas out there, and he sees all that's going on, and he sees people getting saved. And he already knows what took place with Peter. And he said, this is a good thing. And he encouraged them in the Lord. He lifted them up with his words. He edified them and said, you're doing good, fellas. You're doing good, folks. You need to keep spreading the word of Jesus Christ. And he encouraged them and lifted them up. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold. But then look at uh, verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. See, because Saul was, had stirred up so much in Jerusalem, they sent Saul away to Tarsus. And Barnabas knew about all this. You know, I think I'm just storytelling this morning. I'm not preaching, am I? It'd be all right. So Barnabas is there in Jerusalem. He sees all that happens with Saul, and he knows he's over in Tarsus. And, Bar- and Barnabas gets over there, and he begins talking to him. He sees all that's going on. He says, you know what? He doesn't start a church. He doesn't start a whole bunch of people after his name or anything. He doesn't line up people behind him. But he says, you know what? Paul would love this. So he goes to Tarsus to seek Saul, and he brings him back. So encourage the misunderstood was the last one. Encourage and develop the undeveloped. So Barnabas doesn't just take all the credit for himself, or he doesn't just sit in it all himself. He says, you know what? I've seen Paul contending with the Jews, and I've seen him preach Jesus Christ. They could really use his help over here. So he goes and gets him. Look at verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So Barnabas goes to to get Saul. And then they go on their missionary journey and they take 
John Mark with him. Look in Acts chapter number 12. You know, Paul was zealous. Paul could take a beating. Paul could take punishment. Every time Paul went into a town, first thing he did was go into the synagogue and he just let it drop. Whatever falls, falls. And he would argue with them. He would show them from the Bible where they were wrong and he would set them straight. But Barnabas, he brings John Mark with him. And Bar- I think, now I'm going to add a little. It's not in the Bible here. But John Mark, I think he sees all this. I don't think he's quite as strong as Paul. Because John Mark leaves them at a certain spot when things are getting tough. Look at uh, Acts chapter number 12. John Mark comes on the scene. John Mark is in the house that Peter knocks on the door. Remember when Peter was in prison? Remember when he walks out and the chains just fall off? And Peter walks out and he knocks on the door. You know whose house it was? It was John Mark's mother's house. But verse uh, chapter 12, 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So John Mark was there to see Peter come out. And then uh, look at uh, chapter number 13. Now there were in the church in that that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaeum, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of subtlety and all mischief, the child, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness. Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company, loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. The Bible doesn't tell us why John left. But not everybody is the same. Not everybody has the same constitution. Not everybody has the same ability to stand up for the Lord as boldly as Paul. It may be and this is where I get in between. It may be that, that John Mark just reached the point, man, all this is going, I don't know if I can handle this. And he, he left them there. He said, y'all go ahead without me. I'm tapping out. Now, Paul didn't appreciate that because later when it comes time to go on the second missionary journey, Barnabas says, you know what? We could get John Mark. We could bring him with us. He would really grow in this because 
Paul and Barnabas got to talking. They said, you know what? Let's go back and check on those churches. Let's go back and see how they're doing. Let's go back and re-encourage them in the Lord. And they, and they both agreed. And Paul, Barnabas said, well, let's get John Mark and let's take him with us so he can grow. And Paul said, I'm not taking him. He left us. We need somebody that can stand up to the mess that's going on. We're in a spiritual battle here. We can't, we can't have weaklings with us. And Barnabas said, no, he'll be all right. He'll grow. He just got a little worked up. Yes, I'm in between the Bible here. But I'm just trying to think of what happened. Because John Mark just, he kind of balked on it. And Paul wasn't about to have it. And Barnabas said, well, I'm, I'm taking him with me. And Paul said, you go ahead. I'll take somebody else. And he picked Silas. Look over in uh, Acts 15. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them and Pam from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And John Mark, who is reported, uh, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Now, Barnabas said, you go ahead, Paul. And what happened is what happens a lot. You know, it's a funny thing. When I first took this church, I drove down Highway 3. I didn't get a full count. <laughs> How many churches are down this road? How many churches are in these towns? I read, I read a book about somebody planting churches, and I'm like, you got to be out of your mind. <laughs> you just go around and you keep planting churches? I mean, shouldn't we grow? But it happens. How many people have split over something, some disagreement with the church? But what happens is the word of God spreads. Whether we like it or not, whether it felt good or not, there it ends up. So we end up from one team with Paul and Barnabas, to now we have two teams. You've got Paul and Silas. Remember Paul and Silas sat in jail all night long? And then you have Barnabas taking John Mark. We don't know what happened after that. We don't really hear about Barnabas after that. But what we do know is that over there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul said, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Failure is not final when someone is there to encourage them. When that plane spins out like John Mark did. Whatever happened, and he just kind of fell out of formation, and Paul said, you know, and Paul had a tough ministry. He probably couldn't have taken John Mark with him with a weak constitution or whatever it was that caused him to fall out, but Barnabas said, I'll pick him up. Barnabas was an encourager through and through. Not only that, it said that, Paul, that uh, John Mark was Peter, a friend of Peter, and then also, we get the Gospel of Mark from John Mark, as it's reported. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Oh, I've got a story to tell you. One last thing. 
It's an illustration. It's a story. And it's the words of Adrian Rogers from one of his sermons. But I just, it was so well done. I want to read this to you. He said, this is a true story about somebody that most of you know or have heard about. He was a failure. Let me tell you about him. His father died when he was five. He himself dropped out of school when he was 15. By the age of 17, he had already lost four jobs. He married at the early age of 18, and by 19, he was a father. When he was 20, his wife left him and took their daughter with her. And from the ages of 18 to 22, he worked as a railroad conductor, but he failed as a railroad conductor. He joined the army, and he washed out in the army. He farmed some land. He couldn't succeed at that. He applied for law school. He was rejected. He became an insurance salesman, and he failed again. The man couldn't do anything. He didn't know a little bit about, he did know a little bit about cooking, so he got a job in a restaurant as a dishwasher and a cook in a small cafe. He begged his wife to return, but she wouldn't. He grieved for his baby daughter, but he couldn't see her. He planned to get his daughter back, so he went to where his wife had the daughter, and he hid in the bushes and watched his little daughter at play. He planned to do the same thing the next day and kidnap his little daughter, take his little girl. He hid in the bushes the next day, and his daughter didn't come out to play. He couldn't even kidnap his own little daughter. Listen to this now. Eventually, this man convinced his wife to come back and stay with him. She did come back. The two of them worked in the cafe together, cooking, and as a dishwasher. And he just eked out a living. When he turned 65, he retired. He went to the post office and got his first Social Security check. Somehow, getting that Social Security check was the final blow to this man's life. Now, it's not that those who got Social Security and don't deserve it and shouldn't have it, but to this man, he said, that is the ultimate failure. Now I'm going to have to depend upon the government to take care of me for the rest of my life. I've been a failure for 65 years. I'm going to end it all. I'm going to take my own life. He went out in the backyard, and he sat down under a tree, and he got out a path and a pencil. And he began to write his last will and testament. But sitting under that tree, he began to think about what perhaps he ought to be, what he could be, what he should be. And there was one thing that people had encouraged him about. They had encouraged him as a cook. They said, you're a wonderful cook. And he got to thinking about that, and he wrote out a plan for his life. He got up. And he went to the bank, and he borrowed from the bank at the age of 65. He had to borrow $87 against his next Social Security check. The bank loaned him $87, and he went and bought some chicken and began to fry that chicken with his special recipe. And, uh, and then go from door to door in Corbin, Kentucky, selling that chicken. That 65-year-old chicken salesman was Colonel Sanders, who founded the Kentucky Fried Chicken Empire. After 65, I mean, as a failure with less than $100, when he was 88 years of age, he was world famous at 88. He was speaking with some students and said, somebody said, Colonel Sanders, how much money do you have? He said, I really don't know, but if I wanted, I could buy it. <laughs> so here was a man, he needed encouragement, and somebody said, you fried chicken real good. Friend, you know why Barnabas was a great man that he was? And I'm continuing on with Adrian Rogers here. The Bible says, and he was a good man, full of faith, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And he was a good man because he was full of faith, and he was full of faith because the Holy Ghost was upon him. 
You can be a Barnabas. You need to be a Barnabas. Don't be a negative person. I mean, if you're going to give a, if if people were to give you a nickname, would it be Paraclete? Would it be the Son of Consolation? Would it be Encourager? Just make up our mind that we're going to find those five people, and that's what he was talking about. But this like a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold. And asked a man named Barnabas, and you know, studying that, that was something I, I'd never realized until I just studied it out about how much he had done, his encouragement, selling the land to help the needy, about being there for the Apostle Paul at, at a time when the disciples wouldn't even accept him. He was the one to introduce them to the disciples at Jerusalem. He was the one to go and get Paul and say, Hey, Paul, over here at Antioch, man. You ought to see what's going on over here. You'll like this. They get over there and they spend a year there teaching the people about Jesus. And Paul, you know, Barnabas, he said, you know, I don't have all the knowledge I need to teach, but I know Paul. I talked to him. Man, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knows all. He can point you to Jesus Christ and the whole, let me go get him. I'll be back. And he was there for his nephew or his cousin, John Mark. He said, you know what, I know the pressures of the ministry, it kind of got to you here, and you fell out, but come with me. Let me show you how God works. He's not done with you. Amen.